everyone, welcome to the 38th episode of our World News Podcast. This podcast, along with all of our other podcasts, are part of Northern Provisions LLC. Uh, this will be going from July 24th to July 30th. However, there will be a couple exceptions. We had a couple stories that either evolved throughout the week or broke during the week. So just keep that in mind. There will be a couple exceptions. This podcast is sponsored by Mission Essential Gear, your one-stop combat shop. Home of the Duels, the tactical handbook for unit leaders, available at megearco.com and Amazon as well. Use code ANE2021 for a discount added to your cart on the Mission Essential Gear website. Also, check out the Freelancers, a media and research collective dedicated to covering modern conflicts with a soft focus on foreign fighters. Find them on Twitter at CBT Freelancers, Instagram at Freelancers Blog, and their website at Freelancers conflictblog.wordpress.com. Please consider supporting us on Patreon. That is at patreon.com slash analyze educate, where you can buy us a coffee at ko-fi.com slash analyze educate. We will hop into the news. In the United Kingdom, UK Prime Minister and Conservative Party leader candidate Rishi Sunak released his plan to tackle the Chinese Communist Party should he take office. This plan includes closing all 30 of China's Confucius Institutes in the United Kingdom. Confucius Institutes are Chinese government-funded institutes, typically on college campuses of foreign countries that are used to promote the government's view of Chinese culture and history and thus Chinese soft power. Sunak says he will also establish an international alliance to tackle Chinese cyber threats and protect technology. And he will also expand the ability of MI5, that's Britain's domestic intelligence service, to protect British universities and businesses from Chinese espionage. Sunak is one of the two frontrunners in the contest to take the leadership. In Asia, U.S. Speaker of the House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi, is currently on a tour of the region. The main point of contention regarding her trip is her visit to Taiwan, officially the Republic of China. The visit to Taiwan by the speakers, the highest level U.S. government visit to the country since 1997, and Pelosi is the second in line to the presidency, so keep that in mind. The People's Republic of China, known normally just as China, sees Taiwan as its own sovereign territory. This is despite Taiwan having its own government, military, economy, etc., and despite the Chinese Communist Party never actually controlling the island. The Republic of China in Taiwan came to being in 1949 when the remaining leadership of the Chinese nationalists fled to the island after losing the civil war to the Chinese Communist Party under Mao Zedong. Since then, both countries claim to be the one true China and claim each other's territory as their own. Pelosi's visit has deeply angered Beijing and resulted in numerous bombastic threats leveled against her and the United States in total. Right after Pelosi touched down in Taipei, On Tuesday night local time, China announced live-fire military exercises in the waters surrounding Taiwan. Some of those exercise areas are within Taiwan's own territorial waters and are as close as nine nautical miles from the Taiwanese coast. In Fujian province, dozens of People's Liberation Army armored vehicles were seen positioned on the province's beaches right across the strait from Taiwan. Both of China's aircraft carrier groups are deployed in the South China Sea as well as a message to Taiwan and the United States. However, the U.S. has deployed the USS Ronald Reagan Carrier Strike Group to the area to deter any action from Beijing. 
Also sailing with the Reagan is the USS Tripoli Amphibious Assault Ship. The situation is very tense right now, and if you're still serving, I suggest you familiarize yourself with the area. We are probably looking at a fourth Taiwanese Strait crisis. Pelosi left the country on Wednesday night, but the PLA exercises are expected to continue, and the Taiwanese military will remain on high alert. Tensions will remain high in the area for the foreseeable future. Moving on to Pakistan, the Interior Ministry presented data to the country's Senate regarding attacks on security forces carried out by terrorist groups in the first six months of this year. 434 attacks have been carried out on security forces. 323 security personnel have been killed as a result of those attacks, and 718 were wounded in Khyber Pakhtunkhwa. I think I pronounced that right. That province witnessed the most attacks at 247, while Balochistan witnessed 171. Punjab witnessed the least amount of attacks with just one for the first six months of this year. In Afghanistan, on July 30th, the U.S. drone strike carried out in Kabul targeted and killed Al-Qaeda Amir Aman al-Zawari, successor to Osama bin Laden. The strike initially left some questions, but President Joe Biden confirmed the details of the strike on Monday afternoon. This is the first known U.S. strike inside Afghanistan since late August during the chaotic withdrawal from Hamid Karzai International Airport in Kabul. That strike killed 10 civilians when an Afghan aid worker was mistaken for an Islamic State target. Zawari was located earlier this year after he moved to Kabul to be closer to members of his immediate family. Final approval for the strike was given a week prior to the strike. He was a key figure in planning and executing multiple attacks on American citizens. This includes the 1998 bombings of the U.S. embassies in Kenya and Tanzania that killed 224 people, the 2000 bombing of the USS Cole in Yemen that killed 17 U.S. sailors, and of course the 9-11 terror attacks that killed almost 3,000 people. He has been involved in Salafi jihadism for 42 years, starting with his membership in Egyptian Islamic Jihad. The Taliban claims that the strike on him is a violation of the Doha Agreement signed by the U.S. and Taliban. However, the Taliban is in clear violation of the agreement by harboring a leader of al-Qaeda, which it, of course, promised not to do when it signed the peace agreement. In Iraq, on the 27th, hundreds of supporters of the political and militia leader Muqtada al-Sadr stormed Baghdad's parliament building. Protesters were angered over the nomination of Mohammed Shia al-Sudani to the office of prime minister by Iranian-backed Shia political parties. Iraq has been without a parliament-approved government since the October 2021 elections, when no single party won a majority of the parliamentary seats. The nearly 300 days without a government are a new record for the country, and the failure of parties to come together and form one is being blamed on infighting within Shia and Kurdish political parties. Prime Minister Mustafa Al-Khadami has continued to serve in the office as a caretaker role, and he will likely continue to do so until new elections are held. God knows when that will be. The situation between the country's various factions is very tense, and some fear that Iraq is edging closer and closer towards civil war, so we will obviously keep an eye on that. We will take a quick break, and we will finish it off with the Americas. Oh, you know, 
In Guatemala, a firefight between the president's military guard and gunmen, while President Alejandro Diamatay, I think I said that right, was visiting the department of Huehuetenango. Soldiers stopped the gunman's vehicle as it approached a checkpoint set up for the president's visit. The gunman then opened fire on the soldiers. One of the gunmen, a Mexican national, was killed, and the others fled in a vehicle towards the Mexican border. Mexican soldiers later detained four Guatemalan men, according to the Guatemalan government. The president was two kilometers away from the incident, and he was uninjured. In the United States, heavy flooding in eastern Kentucky last week led to the deaths of at least 37 people. Entire communities have been destroyed, and some land still remains inaccessible. According to Governor Andy Bashir. it was some of the worst flooding in the state's history. Recovery efforts are still ongoing as many remain missing. Over 1,300 rescues have been made since last Thursday, some of which were aided by pararescuemen and aircrew from the Air National Guard's 123rd Special Tactics Squadron. President Biden has approved a disaster declaration and ordered federal resources to assist Kentucky in their time of need. This week, these same areas will be affected by extreme heat, and many are still without clean drinking water or electricity. Eight cooling centers will be open throughout eastern Kentucky throughout the week, and Governor Bashir said in relation to these, quote, don't be too proud to go to one of these places. It's going to be really hot and really dangerous. On the 29th, the U.S. House of Representatives passed H.R. 1808, the assault weapons ban of 2022, by a vote of 217 to 213. Two Republicans, Brian Fitzpatrick of Pennsylvania and Chris Jacobs of New York, voted to support the bill. Five Democrats voted against the bill. That is Vicente Gonzalez of Texas, Jared Golden of Maine, Henry Quaylor of Texas, Kurt Schrader of Oregon, and Ron Kind of Wisconsin. The bill bans the manufacturer, sale, and purchase or possession of semi-automatic rifles with features including pistol grips, adjustable stocks, barrel shrouds, threaded barrels, and other features. This, of course, applies to Many of these semi-automatic rifles, semi-automatic rifles, excuse me, owned by millions of Americans today, a, quote, grandfather clause was included in the bill to make an exception for, quote, assault weapons already in legal possession. Unlike the 1994 to 2004 assault weapons ban, this bill has no time limit and would be indefinite. It will head to the Senate where 10 Republicans are needed to join the 50 Democratic senators in order for the bill to pass. Uh, the bill will likely receive some Republican support, but many are skeptical that it'll pass. Personally, I could see Romney and Lindsey Graham supporting it, but that's probably it as far as Republican senators go. Just my opinion, though. On the 30th, President Joe Biden tested positive for COVID-19 a second time after four straight days of testing negative following his first bout of COVID. Uh, the first time he had it, I was gone on a break, so that's why I didn't cover it. He has not developed symptoms, but he will isolate and work remotely regardless. And our last story on the 3rd, which was yesterday, Congresswoman Jackie Walerski, a Republican from Indiana, was killed in a car crash in Elkhart County, Indiana. She represented the state's 2nd Congressional District since 2013 and was the ranking member on the House Committee on Ethics. The 58-year-old leaves behind her husband. Three other people were killed in the crash when a driver on State Route 19 swerved into the oncoming lane and crashed head-on into Walerski's vehicle. The others that were killed are her communications director, Emma Thompson, 
her district director, Zachary Potts, and the driver of the other vehicle whose name has not been released. That is all I have for you guys this week. Um, thank you for supporting this podcast. It feels good to be back from break and, uh, you know, be back doing what I like doing. Thank you for the support again. Of course, it means a lot to me. You could find this podcast on your favorite apps. That includes Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, Overcast, Radio Public, and Pocket Cast. You could find us on Twitter and Instagram at Analyze Educate. That is all one word. Please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Analyze Educate. And again, that's all I have for you guys this week. We will see you around.